guys will be best friends forever. No offense, but you know, the friends you have when you're younger sometimes, sometimes you grow apart. You know, when you get older, and maybe she'll find a new best friend, and maybe she'll be more successful than you are, and prettier, and richer, and skinnier, and they end up doing everything together. You're, you're weird. Hello, movie lovers. Welcome to Does It Hold Up, the podcast where we talk about some of your favorite movies of all time to decide if they still hold up. I'm Adam. And I'm Emily. And this week we're going over 2011's Bridesmaids. Yay! A comedy. (laughs) We haven't done a comedy in a while. I honestly don't think we've done a raunchy comedy yet. Yeah, we've done comedies like Sandlot, I guess you could say is a comedy. We did that a couple weeks ago, but that was like kids comedy. Yeah. I don't think we've ever done like an adult comedy. Well, Airplane. Nah, that's dumb comedy. It's different. That's not clever comedy. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we didn't say it held up. So, (laughs) Who said this was a clever comedy? I'm just saying we've done kids comedies and dumb comedies. Now we get to do like an adult comedy where the jokes are specifically for adults. Yeah. They are adult only. (laughs) Adult. Yeah. A lot of it is. Do you feel the heat coming off my undercarriage? (laughs) (laughs) I'm waiting for a leg slap there. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) we are talking bridesmaids. It's a movie that I saw in theaters with a friend way back in the day and liked it, like understood it, but didn't love it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like over the years, like people, when I went and saw it, were like, this is the funniest movie of all time. You got to just see it. So we went, we saw it. And neither one of us, I think, walked out thinking like, that's such a great movie. Like we laughed at certain parts, but we were like, this is kind of dumb. Yeah. And then over the years, people just kept talking about it. So I revisited it and I was like, all right, it's not as bad as I remember anyway. It's still not great, but it's not as bad. And then I got older and I caught pieces of it again. And I was like, oh, that's kind of funny. <laughs> and then I got a little older and I was like, oh, it's kind of kind of still funny. And I don't know. Maybe it's just like a age thing. Like it gets better with age. Yeah. Like it's a fine wine kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, like more things make sense. The characters are actually like. Oh shit, I know people like that. I yeah. know these characters in some form. And maybe I just didn't have that when I was younger, so I couldn't connect to the movie as much. Could be. Yeah, interesting. This was my first time watching it. So, nearly 30, first time watching it. And it's not surprising at all. Yeah. <laughs> we can basically assume you have never seen it. Which is weird because this is one of those kind of movies that would have been right up my alley in the fact that it was a comedy about women. I loved that growing up but i just did not watch this one for whatever reason you love that growing up the like three movies that happened like that yeah because they were before this movie this never happened there was never female-led big comedy released movies even when you look at things like clueless that was a comedy led by females Mm -hmm. but there were so many males in it it was like mean girls still it, it was about a boy no it was about them a boy just happened to be there oh he was a big part of that Right. October 3rd. A catalyst. October 3rd is when he turned around and he asked me for the day. Okay. It's October 3rd. (laughs) It's October 3rd. Like, he's such a big part of, like, why the two girls are fighting because they're fighting over the boy. Yeah. Like, he's a little too big. Here, it is just women. It is women on women because of women. There, there is a dude. He's so... He's freaking super On the side. <laughs> he yeah. does not matter to this story at all. There's like, another dude that is the br- the groom, and we get him for like one scene, so... Yeah. Well, yes, there's two guys with our main main character. True. The one she kind of likes and the one she's kind of doing. Yeah. So, all right. 
There's so much to talk about with this movie. So let's just get some of this stuff out of the way. Box office. Budget of $32.5 million. Domestically made $169.2 million. Another 120.4 internationally for a worldwide total of $290 million. That's pretty good. That's pretty good on $30 million budget. Yeah, well, really good for a $30 million budget, but like pretty good for a comedy overall. Yeah, absolutely. In 2011, 12th highest grossing of the year that it came out, it was stuck between The Help and Kung Fu Panda 2. <laughs> Two vastly different things. Just, yeah, this was like a weird three right here. <laughs> but it was something for everybody. Yeah. People who wanted the dramas with Help the kid-friendly movie, and the people who wanted the comedy. And now I've seen all three. There you go. Uh, adjusted for inflation, $223 million. Okay. Not, not that much of an increase from, you know, 2011. Prices haven't changed that much. 2022's rank was, it moved up two spots to 10th. Top 10, baby. Sandwiched between the 2022 gross of Spider-Man No Way Home and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. <laughs> so once again, two vastly different movies. Superhero, kids movie with a raunchy comedy in the middle. So yeah, that was box office stuff. It's interesting. Yeah. Like, this movie made a ton of money. It was the first female-led comedy pretty much of ever. It, oh, yeah, but especially of its type. Of its type, for sure. And it made all the money. People couldn't get enough of this. Probably why they continued to make them for a while. They tried anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing ever hit this level of movie again. But 10th place, or 12th place, just outside of the top 10, like, since 2011, no comedies have really even hit anywhere near the top 10. They come out, they make some money, $100 million to whatever, and that's it. They move on. Mm -hmm. This one just hung around. I remember it playing for months and months and months because I didn't see it when it first came out. I saw it like two and a half months later or whatever because that's when you could go see it. <laughs> I don't know. It's a weird thing. So this movie was directed by Paul Feig. He was the height of his powers at this point. Like, okay, so... He had done a few episodes of TV shows like Freaks and Geeks. Such a great show. One season, it gave us like Seth Rogen, James Franco, uh, Jason Segel, Paul Feig. Hmm. Underseen show. Everybody should see this show, even though yeah. it's only one season. So I've good. never seen it. Undeclared. Yeah, it's a fine show. Arrested Development. Okay, I remember that, that being was huge. huge. 30 Rock. Yeah, I do know that Weeds one. Weeds and Parks and Rec. He had done an episode or two of each one of these shows. So he was still like... Working. He, he was doing those big shows. That what do you want to bet? Watching. He was like the funniest episodes. <laughs> oh, probably. And then he did a few movies. Like, I think 2003's I Am David. Sure. Nah. It's a good movie, but nothing, one people don't remember. Yeah. Then he did like 2008's Unaccompanied Minors, which is like the dumbest movie ever, but somehow still made some money. But this was his first big break when this movie came out in 2011. And then he followed this up with The Heat starring Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy in 2013, mm -hmm. Spy with Melissa McCarthy in 2015. Both of those movies made money and people love them. Yeah. But then he hits a disaster. It is like he was in a rocket and then all of a sudden a brick wall was just bam, right in front of him with 2016's Ghostbusters. I think that was just doomed to fail. The tragedy that was. Somebody needs to make a documentary about, maybe we'll make a documentary about <laughs> how bad... This movie started and ended the entire lifespan of when it was first announced this movie was getting made until its absolute abysmal failure at the box office. 
Well, that one I remember being such a big thing because obviously it's a known IP with all male leads and they changed it to all female leads, which, you know, makes some people unhappy. But then it could have done all right if it was an okay movie, but apparently it wasn't. No. It, you ever seen it? No, I okay. I actually avoided it. So I saw it because I was like, I don't care. I don't care if it's women. The Ghostbusters IP is kind of interesting. I love the idea that Ghost Hunters. Let's go check this one out. But they just did it so poorly where it was like, <laughs> it's not in the same universe as the original, but also is at the same time. Yeah. Like Bill Murray has a cameo in it, but he's not playing Venkman from the original. What? And yet they're referencing the fact that Ghostbusters sort of existed, existed kind of like the symbol is like drawn on a wall at some point. So like they existed, but didn't. That it's like that's how this weird. movie got jacked. Yeah, I missed the initial uh, watch of it, and then I heard how bad it was, and I was just like, yeah, no, nah, I'm out. <laughs> right, the CGI is bad. Just My favorite part of the whole movie, though, uh, Kate McKinnon. She's fantastic really? in this movie, and she needs to be in more things. I do love her so much. Weird Barbie. Yeah. She's in Weird I'm Barbie, and she's it. the best part of the Barbie movie. Yes, she is. So, just saying. But yeah, that was a complete disaster. So then he completely shifts gears. Okay, this is how weird. So he has three major comedies come out. Yeah. Gangbusters. He's top of the game, top of the world. Then Ghostbusters just ruins him. Mm -hmm. So instead of coming back to comedy, he completely shifts gears and does 2018's A Simple Favor Ooh, with Anna Kendrick and Blake one. Lively. Yeah, I know you like that one. Yeah. But it's so far removed from like oh, Bridesmaids yeah. and Ghostbusters. It's a, it's a pretty good thriller. Yeah. It's a good movie. Yeah. But then he follows that up with 2019's Last Christmas. Okay. Nice little rom drum. With Henry Golding and... Amelia Clark. Amelia Clark, where she's... Yeah, it's a rom-jom. I love it. it was, I've watched it several times. <laughs> way different than the comedies and even way different than A Simple Favor. Yeah. And then he does 2022's The School for Good and Evil. I liked Netflix. that one too. But again, how different is it? Yeah, these, it's a kid drama-ish. With like magic. Yeah. Yeah. So these three movies since Ghostbusters aren't even remotely similar to each other, mm -hmm. let alone the stuff he was doing previously. Do you think he's just trying to find himself after thinking he's at the height of his powers in comedy and then failing at a comedy? 100%. I think Ghostbusters ruined this man. Yeah. And he had no idea what to do. I think we'll see coming forward that he's going to find himself in comedy again because there was some comedic elements in A School for Good and Evil. I mean, there was in Simple Favor too, like when they were trying not to... And there Give was away the mystery. There was a little comedy. And there was definitely comedy in Last Christmas. Oh, 100%. It was that kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge kind of comedy where it's like, I'm going to say some ridiculous stuff and that's what's going to be funny. Bird poop that hits her right in the face. Yep. Yeah. So you still see little elements, but it's a complete departure. Mm -hmm. So he never hit the heights again of this movie. So this was his apex. Yeah. And it's just crazy. Like, I need to make a documentary about Ghostbusters and a documentary about this man himself yeah. and what Ghostbusters did to him because it's insane. All right. Let's talk about Kristen Wiig, who is the lead role of this movie, but she also wrote this movie, Bridesmaids. Interesting. So she was on SNL from 05 to 2012. This movie came out in 2011. Huge hit. She quits SNL the next year. Probably because she assumes she's going to be a huge movie star now. Probably. Doesn't happen, clearly. Yeah. But she wrote this because Judd Apatow told her to. I know you don't know who Judd Apatow is. He's a director and producer for known for tons of things like This Is 40, Knocked Up, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, um, 
he produced Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Mm-hmm. Like he's done, he is a name in that world. Correct. In the, in comedy, he is the man. He is the king of comedy for the 2000s and 2010s. I was going to say, I know his name, didn't know his work. Yeah. But he told her to because during conversations she had with Steve Carell and other people who were around SNL, she actually is the one who apparently came up with the idea for the movie The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Hmm. But, you know, she couldn't star in it. Yeah. That was, a, that was a male vehicle, obviously. That's how they set it all up. But she came up with that. And so Judd Apatow was like, man, you're really, you're good at this. Maybe you should, like, write a movie for yourself. And she did. And it became Bridesmaids. And we're going to get into the script a little later, like, more in depth with it. It's bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it has great moments. And the first half is really good. And then it feels like she just didn't know where to go with it. Yeah. And the movie kind of falls apart as it goes. I feel like she might have really enjoyed certain characters more than others and put more work into them because you can definitely tell that there are some characters that are more well-rounded. Oh, yeah. A hundred percent. And not necessarily hers. (laughs) She might be the worst part of this movie. But she does do small appearances in movies like Knocked Up, Mm -hmm. uh, Walk Hard, The Dewey Cox Story, which is one of the best comedies from the 2000s that if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Okay. Adventureland, really good underrated movie with Jesse Eisenberg and Kristen Stewart. I know. I wanted to watch that one. We should definitely check it out. It's really good. And then Whip It. I made you watch this movie. Whip It good. And I love this movie. Yeah. The roller derby movie. Yeah. Such a good movie. She had a small part in that. And then her first big breaks into movies was MacGruber, which was based on an SNL sketch. It was one of those movies that transitioned from SNL yeah. to the big screens. Yeah, it was fine. Then she's the voice of Roughnut in my favorite animated trilogy of all time. Yeah. How to Train Your Dragon. But this is her first starring role, and it makes her a megastar overnight. This movie goes gangbusters at the theaters, and all of a sudden, she is an A-list actress. Height of her powers. We're going to call it right now, right? This movie Probably. has to be the height of her powers. Probably. Since I haven't since. Yeah, since I haven't really seen her do anything since. She was yeah. also the voice of Lucy in Despicable Me 2, but that came out after Bridesmaids. Yeah. But she can't maintain that. Like, that's it. That's it. That's, like, what she's done now. She's done, like, the Skeleton Twins... Since mm-hmm. Bridesmaids, it was okay. It was a great. She's done some voice work and stuff. And then she got Cheetah in Wonder Woman 84. Wonder Woman 1984. Right. I was like, I do remember seeing her recently. What a terrible role that was. And she was not good in it. Yeah, she was not the right choice for that no. role. No, it's it was too comedic. It was too... I mean, obviously, she was in Ghostbusters as well. I just didn't put that on there because we already talked about it with Paul Feig. This was it. She was going to be a huge star after this. What happened? I feel like she still could be. I don't, I don't know. I don't know why she fell off the face of the earth because I remember liking her for the most part in most of her things. So she seems relatable. Let her do things. <laughs> so she was in The Secret Life of Walter Mitty with Ben Stiller. And that was a more serious role for her. I actually really liked her in it. She <laughs> was in The Martian. She had a small role in The Martian. Yes. She's good in that. It's a more serious role. Does she need to switch gears a little? Stop getting so. get away from like the hard comedy. Well, I remember in The Martian, she has like little funny things, but they're not like outwardly funny. She's not overly doing the funny in it. It's, it's just not a fart joke. Yeah. It's situationally, she's laughing because of what's happening. Yeah. yeah. And I want to see her do more of that. You can still be funny without being outrageous. Exactly. So I just don't know why she wasn't. Oh, one more movie I want to mention because I know you were actually a big fan of this one. It was, I think, straight to Hulu streaming during the whole pandemic. Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Yes. She was the lead in that. 
And that was a pretty good comedy because it was like over the top, but also grounded yes. at the same time. And it, she was really good in it. Yes, it definitely had that outrageous factor, but still toned down. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know. I liked it a lot. So I don't know what her issue is. I think she's just picking bad movies. Could be. She's trying too hard. I, I don't. That is probably more like it. Okay. She, she's on it. probably too used to SNL and had a hard time transitioning off of that where SNL's made to be that outrageously like overdone comedy. So you brought it up. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Does Bridesmaids feel like a very extended SNL sketch? I could see that. Because to me, it's like you can see where there's here's an SNL sketch. And then 10 minutes later, here's another SNL sketch. And how she connects them is where I think this movie falls apart. But there's also the in-between sections where I'm like, oh, I like that. Where's more of that? Yeah. So it's it's a weird movie that I think in the hands of a more accomplished writer might have been able to be better. Maybe. Maybe. One thing that blew my mind, though, she's not in Barbie. Spoiler alert for Barbie, but Kristen Wiig's not in it. That is a little surprising. Doesn't that feel like a movie she would make an appearance in at something as like lawyer Barbie or something. I don't know. I don't know. I, I just honestly don't know. I can see her being in it, but I can also see her not being in it. Yeah, I wonder if they backed away from her after like Wonder Woman was such a disappointment. Could be. That they were like, ooh, she's not she's not marketable enough. Let's get rid of her. It just feels like with the amount of people that are in that one, it feels like something she should have been connected to in some way. It was just a thought I had. Yeah, even having her in like the real world. Yeah. As, like, the one female member of the Mattel board of directors or something. Yeah. Where she gets, like, two lines of dialogue. They come in. She's super funny in those two lines and done. Mm-hmm. I was just surprised. Just yeah. surprised. The other person that comes out of this is uh, Melissa McCarthy. She skyrockets after this. Oh, yeah. She took the role that Kristen Wiig probably wanted. Where it was like, this movie launched her into super stardom, and she's rode that wave for years now. Yeah. Now, she's had ups and downs, ebbs and flows, Mm -hmm. but she wasn't known before this. She was just a comedian doing her stand-up stuff. I think maybe the year before this movie came out, she gets the um, Mike and Molly show. Right. I do remember that. I think it was out for like a year before this movie, but it was never a big show. Sure, it got a couple seasons, but no, it never was like water cooler talk at work. But she rides the wave of this into Identity Thief with Jason Bateman, Mm -hmm. which made some money. The Heat, obviously, Sandra Bullock made money. Spy, Life of the Party, which was low budget and made like mid-budget money back. So it did pretty well. She gets an Oscar nomination for a movie, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Where she, it's a drama, mm-hmm. and she's really good in it. And then she lands The Little Mermaid. Yeah. She's Ursula in the live-action Little Mermaid. That's an upward trajectory. You go from an Oscar <laughs> nomination to a live-action Disney movie, upward. Yeah, maybe. Mainstream upward. Okay, mainstream, mainstream upward. Yeah. So it doesn't seem like Ghostbusters, that she was also in, hurt her as much. No, because around that time, she was really known for her overly done physical comedy and that's what people kind of expected from her. So I don't think that would have really hurt her, knowing mm-hmm. that she did pretty much what she was doing at the time. I'm actually really enjoying her new almost renaissance, where she's coming into her own, letting herself actually act in movies instead of just being the punchline in movies. She's really good as Ursula. Yeah. I mean, I think she's just doing a rip on the original Ursula from the animated one. Mm-hmm. I think she's kind of just doing exactly that. But it worked. She's yeah. the only one I think that could have pulled that off. 
I actually really enjoyed Life of the Party, where she does do a lot of that physical comedy still, but it's more toned down. And there's some depth to that movie. Exactly. So I think I want to see her continue on and really come into her own. Yeah. Keeping comedy as like her backbone, but getting to extend her acting legs, you know? If you guys have never seen Life of the Party, maybe check it out. It's about a mom who decides to go back to school after a divorce, Mm -hmm. and she goes to the same college as her daughter. And somehow the mom is more popular at school than the daughter, and so it causes conflict, but they have to work through that while they're both trying to get through college life. Yeah. It's, It's good. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's great. But it's, it's funny. Yeah. Somewhat. So usually we do this at the end, but let's just get this out of the way. Melissa McCarthy is the big winner of this movie, right? I think so. By far. In my personal opinion, yes. Yeah. She wins this movie outright. She crushes anybody else who even has a remote chance of winning. The only person I think would give her a slight run would be Rose Byrne. True. Because she this does movie, really good in this movie. She shows her acting chops and her comedic chops here. Yeah. So she might have a chance, but Melissa McCarthy taking this movie into Oscar nominations is insane winner mm-hmm. all right let's do critic stuff and okay. we're gonna start breaking this movie down yeah uh roger gave it a 3.5 yeah okay out of four i like still it still mad about that because of spider-man yeah well <laughs> the quote i grabbed from him is bridesmaid seems to be more or less a deliberate attempt to cross the chick flick with a raunchy comedy It definitively proves that women are the equal of men in vulgarity, sexual frankness, lust, vulnerability, over-drinking, and insecurity. This was that movie that showed the world that women can be just as weird as men. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like everything that's, I think that's what works well in this movie. And I think that's why Raj gave it a a three and a half stars. Mm -hmm. Because when you watch this movie, you can replace every single character with a man. And the movie plays out exactly the same way. Pretty much. Like, instead of trying on dresses, they're trying on tuxes. Mm -hmm. Nothing changes if you replace them with men. And this was the first movie to really do that. Yeah. Women are just as gross as men. Which is kind of why it is a milestone in comedy, especially for women. Yeah, it changed comedy moving forward. That's Without this movie, we don't get things like Spy Mm -hmm. or The Heat or like that, Life of the Party or I Feel Pretty. This movie set the precedent for female-led comedies where you're allowed to be ridiculous and you don't have to make the jokes about like getting your period uh-huh. or guy trouble or you can just be funny on your own. Yeah, you can realize how gross women are just by being women. And this movie 100% shows how gross and ridiculous women can be and I just can't <laughs> wait to get into it. All right, keep going. Uh, the critic score, Rotten Tomatoes has it at a 90%, which is actually a 76%. 90% of critics like it. But it's a 7. But it's a 7.6 out, out of 10. 10. Yes. That's still pretty good. Yeah. 7.6. So again, break it down because we've only done this one week. So let's keep going with it a little bit. So you, like you said, 90% of the critics gave it a positive rating. Yes. But that rating on average was only a 7.6. Yeah. That's how those numbers work. So when you see that tomato score of 90%, you're like, oh my God, 90% of people absolutely are in love with this movie. No, 90% of the people gave it at least a 6 out of 10. To be honest, I looked at Rotten Tomatoes scores originally as, oh, people are giving it a 90%. Correct. Like, they are giving it a 9 out of 10 on average, not realizing, no, 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 that's how many people Just say it's positive about it. Yes. And that's why I think breaking it down a little bit is very important when we're talking Rotten Tomatoes scores, because a lot of people I do think assume 
the 90% just means 90% of people love this movie. They think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, nah, they just, they liked it. Yeah. So. The audience, 76% of people liked it, and it was a 3.9 out of 5. Weird that Rotten Tomatoes doesn't allow audiences to do out of 10, just to match the critics. Yeah, I thought but, that was weird too. But we get it. So 3.9 times 2 is a 7.8 out of 10. Mm-hmm. So they're right in line with the critics. Critics said it had a 7.6. Audience yeah. has it as 7.8. Bam. But yeah. when you look at those scores, they're way different. Oh, yeah. We have a, what, the audience was a 76% mm-hmm. and critics were a 90%. Yeah. So you're thinking, oh, they're completely opposite on this movie. Audiences don't like it as much as critics. Nope. When you look at the actual rating, they're pretty much even. Mm-hmm. Insane. And then last thing is cinema score. So what people watched it the first weekend thought of it compared to the uh, trailers, they gave it a B plus. Okay. This was one of those movies you could not have been prepared for. You don't know how raunchy and how ridiculous it's going to be going into it. Yes. You were thinking more in the lines of like Clueless, 10 Things I Hate About You, stuff like that. Even How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. You're expecting that. Mm -hmm. And then you get 40-year-old virgin with women. And it's like, oh my God. Yeah. Was not ready for this. But it still made a ton of money, so... And it did really well with critics outside of just ratings as well, because it was nominated for two Oscars. Really? Comedy. Nominated for two Oscars. That is one of the rarest things in the history of everything. That feels very unheard of. It, it very unheard of. It's so rare. But it was Best Supporting Actress for, yes. Melissa McCarthy? Yep. Yeah. Nominated. And it won. It won. It did not win. It was nominated for Best Writing Original Screenplay for Kristen Wiig. Okay. I can see it. That's insane. A comedy. Sure. The, the Best Supporting Actress in a comedy. Okay. Mm-hmm. We just saw it with... This last year, um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's got some drama moments. I was going to say, that's not really a comedy. It's a comedy. It's more funny than anything else. Okay. It's a comedy. It's a dramedy. It's drama with comedy and some action. It's a little bit of everything, everywhere, <laughs> all at once. But we, So we just saw it with that. But back then, unheard of. But also to get original screenplay nomination? That is really surprising. One, it's surprising because it's comedy. And two, it's surprising because the script <laughs> is not that <laughs> yeah. good. But it was original. And it blew up at the box office. This is back when the Oscars actually kind of sort of cared about what the general audience did like. They didn't just pick random bullshit. Mm. So I don't know, man. To get crazy. Okay. (laughs) Movie time. Yes. The opening of this movie is fantastic. (laughs) So we open up on her and John Hamm together, who has the smallest of cameos in this movie. John Hamm, and he crushes it every time he's on screen. I was going to say, it's not all that small. He's in it several times in the movie, but it's quick glances here and there. Yeah. Yeah. He's not nowhere near a focus or even relatively that important. But he's integral to the story. He's so funny. Oh, yeah. This dude was coming off Mad Men, which is like drama. And everybody knew him as like, he's going to be the next Tom Hanks, the the, the drama guy. He's going to be the guy who pulls Oscars, who just does all this stuff. And then to see him in this role... Just foul-mouthed, funny, ridiculous. One of my favorite lines in this whole movie is when Kristen Wiig stranded on the side of the road and he has to come pick her up. And as soon as he pulls up, first thing out of his mouth is, hey, what's up, fuck buddy? <laughs> this this is the guy who played Don Draper in Mad Men. Very serious role. What the hell is happening right now? I, I thought you were going to go for in this opening scene where he's like, I really want you to leave, but I don't know how to tell you to go without sounding like a dick. Yes. <laughs> I, I literally, that was my next note to write down. It was, it was just that entire quote. I wrote it out verbatim because I was like, that is amazing. Did I get it right or you, you close? You got it real close. Okay. This is so awkward. 
I really want you to leave, but I don't know how to say it without sounding like a dick. Okay, I was real close. Was real close. <laughs> it is the funniest line ever because he's being all romantic, holding her and like caressing her. And he's like, yeah, no, this is awkward. Get the f*** out. <laughs> I really enjoy this scene because it opens up immediately showing you how raunchy this movie is going to be. All the sex positions. All of it. And it's just... And then you get that kind of line and it's like, okay, you're setting us up to what is coming next. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Then we immediately go to, so that all happens. She ends up getting her stuff leaving. We cut to her and a friend played by Maya Rudolph, Lillian, Mm -hmm. who's her best friend. They are hiding behind a tree so they can participate in Terry Crews' boot camp without actually participating in the boot camp. Without paying the, like, five bucks. Twelve dollars. Twelve dollars. He screams it's only twelve dollars at them. This is funny. One, because it's always a good time to see Terry Crews Mm -hmm. put this man in everything for just cameos. Dude, he is funny. He's so funny. For such a big man who looks really intimidating. Yeah. He is so funny. Get him in more comedies. Yeah. Yeah. But give him just these little bit parts because he also does it in the movie Click. You ever seen that with Mm -hmm. Adam Sandler? Mm -hmm. He's the guy singing in the car next to him. Yeah. And he's doing his whole thing. And it's funny as hell, too. Oh, yeah. It's so good. Just put him in all the things. What pisses me off about this, though, is it's only $12. We understand that Annie, played by Kristen Wiig, the lead, is very poor because she lost her bakery. But Lillian, is it Lillian? Yeah, Lillian. I had to Mm -hmm. double check. Lillian is about to marry into a very rich family. Yeah. She doesn't have 12 bucks. Why? I, I wonder if it's almost like the thrill of it for her. Could be. Of like, Haha, we're doing this, or I'm I'm doing this with my friend because I know paying for her would not be an option. Yeah. Because she definitely seems like that kind of person who's like too stubborn or too prideful. To pay for To let someone else pay oh, for them. Yeah. yeah. It's just such, so weird. I get the one character, but the other one, like it's $12. Just pay it. Yeah. Just pay it and go be part of the boot camp. But I think you bring up a good point. Maybe it's just the thrill of yeah. hiding behind the tree because they even run away giggling about it. Yeah. So. Then we go to them sitting in a diner having food after this. And this is another scene that immediately sets you up for what's coming. Mm -hmm. Because Kristen Wiig is telling Maya Rudolph, who, first of all, Maya Rudolph, legend. Yeah. I love her. (laughs) She is amazing all the time. She's She's really funny, too. One of the funniest women working in Hollywood without having to be pratfalls and over-the-top stuff. It's the way she delivers lines. Just cracks me the hell Straight up. Straight-faced, and yet it's still funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's one of those women who I feel like could just brutalize you with words, but have you smiling the entire time because she's so clever with it. Yeah. Love her. Love her. But they're sitting in a diner talking, and Kristen Wiig's telling her all about her raunchy night with John Hamm. Mm-hmm. And she pretends to be a dick, <laughs> and she, like, has her, el- her, her arms put out. And Maya Rudolph is like, are those the balls? Why aren't they rounded? And she's like, well, I'm trying to make them rounded, but I have elbows. (laughs) And she's like, they go on a whole little thing here of like, it's looking at you. And the men put it in your face. And you're like, no, let me offer if I want to go. But every time you kind of get close to a man, they're always just pushing your head down, pushing. It's like two minutes of them just her pretending to be a dick Mm -hmm. and them talking about giving head. That doesn't happen in these kind of movies. No. Well, it doesn't happen in movies in general. And this is what opened it up. But I absolutely love this scene. Let's go. I honestly put in there, I love best friends because Mm -hmm. you can talk this kind of ridiculousness with your best friend and it just works. 
And so I love getting this introduction to their friendship and just seeing how comfortable they are together because it makes the rest of the movie kind of make more sense. Yeah. So it's good setups happening yes. here. We kind of already in these like three scenes understand the world that we're in. Mm-hmm. And like you said, their friendship, immediately we understand it. Yeah. Okay, scale of one to 100. 100 being 100% improvised. One being scripted word for word. Where do you think this diner scene falls? Like 90. Yeah, same. I feel like this is, they just sat down, <laughs> rolled cameras, and she was like, I'm going to pretend to be a dick and we're going to make fun of it. It's going to be great. We're going to hit those like three lines that actually need to happen here. To further the story. But. Yes. Yeah. It's so funny. I love this scene. Oh, yeah. Then we find out Kristen Wig works at a jewelry store. This mm-hmm. is like her job because she used to own a bakery, but she opened it during the recession, mm-hmm. which was a dumb move. And she admits it who opens a bakery during a recession, and it's failed. Yeah. It falls apart. So she just has a job at a jewelry store because her mom is the sponsor for the owner in AA. <laughs> it's like <laughs> such a small line where he's just like, you have this job because your mom is my sponsor of AA. And then we find out her mom doesn't even have a drinking problem, has yeah. never had a drinking problem. She just goes there. She just really likes all of the drama yeah. <laughs> where Kristen Wiig's character literally has to tell like, dude, it's anonymous. You're not supposed to tell me names. Yeah. She just loves saying everything that's happening there. Yeah. So funny. Such a bit moment. So funny. So then she goes back to her apartment and we meet her roommates that she lives with a brother and sister combo from England because she got divorced, lost her bakery, is poor. I didn't think she was ever married. I thought she, yeah, no, her, uh, it was either her boyfriend or her husband, I can't remember, was the guy who ran the front of the house of the bakery because the cop that she falls in love with is like, who was the guy that always came in and I bought donuts from? Oh, he was a dick. He broke up with me when the bakery went under. Oh, I'm glad I never tipped him. Mm. That was her boyfriend and or husband. I can't remember which one. I don't think it was husband. Okay, well, boyfriend then. But they're in the photos together in the newspaper, so it definitely makes it seem like they were more of an item than just boyfriend working at her bakery. But she can't, so she can't pay rent. Mm-hmm. She's a terrible person. Can we just, let's, let's get into it. Yes. Annie sucks. Please. Annie She's sucks as a person. The worst thing about this movie, and it's so hard to get into because of how terrible she is, that I don't want to root for her. And so having to follow her the entire movie, I'm like, oh, just stop. Let me follow this other person. So what's the, what's the overall story happening in this movie? Why don't you tell our audience? So basically, her best friend gets engaged, and she asks this train wreck of a human being, Annie, to be her bridesmaid. Well, maid of honor. Maid of honor, sorry. I was going to say best bridesmaid, like best man <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> uh, to be her maid of honor, and she's just failing where this new friend is succeeding, and it's their battle almost to top each other to be Lillian's best friend. That, it. that is the main story there. And in the meantime, she like kind of meets a guy, sort of. Yeah, she meets this cop. That is weird. Great story. Very Great relatable story. story. Yeah. It just sucks and he sucks. And you can have a train wreck of a character, like where her life is just literally in the gutter, and have her still be somewhat likable. Who's trying to like do her best, but everything falls apart. Annie's yes. not even trying to do her best. Annie is all about Annie. Yeah. She doesn't give a crap about her best friend getting married. She barely notices the ring. When mm-hmm. her, when Maya Rudolph goes to show her the ring of like, oh, look, I'm engaged. She doesn't even really notice it. And her reaction to it is so muted compared to what a normal person's reaction would be. Yeah. That right in that moment, I'm like, God, why couldn't you be better? Yeah, I almost like 
Helen. Helen better because she is making things all about Lillian. Yeah. But a little too much. About a little Lillian. too much because she is trying to top Annie. But we get, like the two ends of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. Annie is only about Annie. Helen is only about Lillian and they are very extreme in what they do. Yes. Which can really divide Maya Rudolph's character, the one getting married. Because you don't want either one of those things. You want a blend of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's weird. Annie sucks. Annie doesn't care about anybody else. Only cares about herself. She is only in it for herself. She is looking for what's next for her. Mm -hmm. Not for anybody else. She cannot be happy. She meets a guy who's a cop and doesn't care about him at all. He is just the means to an end to get away from John Hamm's character, which she can't even do. Mm-hmm. So she's like flirting with this cop, hooking up with this cop. But in the meantime, she's still hooking up with John Hamm's character. What the hell? When you're trying to make a likable protagonist, you can't do crap like this. I didn't think she was still hooking up with John Hamm's character. She only called him to get the ride. We see them together one more time. We do? After she's met the cop. Hmm. Yeah. I am like blanking out on some of this movie i think <laughs> there were moments where i'm just like oh my god that's what face I'm, palm that's a little what too I'm hard for. yeah but yeah so i just don't like any and I, it's really hard to connect to the character connect to the movie when the main character is so unlikable and what i think is the problem here is this movie tries way too hard to be like relatable and funny it's just trying too hard so it's making this character almost outrageously the the end of the spectrum on this level of like everything is about her yeah and it just it goes from funny to cringy in my mind okay a little bit yeah a little bit so the first the next major scene is she's going to the engagement party annie's going to the engagement party at helen's house which is a freaking mansion because helen is loaded her husband is loaded. Yes. Well, that makes her loaded as well. She married into money so she can spend the money how she wants. Mm-hmm. Throws a huge party. And this is where we meet the two other, three other friends who are going to play out in the rest of this movie. The other so, bridesmaids. The other bridesmaids. Yes. Hence the title. So we get Melissa McCarthy as Megan, which we'll talk about a little bit later. We get Wendy McLendon Covey as Rita, mm-hmm. who's like a miserable mom who... Doesn't really love her husband anymore. They're just together to be together. Has three boys who are just the spawn of Satan in her (laughs) eyes. But we meet her. And that's such a relatable character too. Because that is the mom who probably home life isn't as bad as she makes it out to be. But she's miserable where she is. So everything is just that step up from what other people see. Yeah, she. it's almost as if she's just exaggerating for her friends. Yes. And that is a very realistic thing. Or just exaggerating to give herself a reason to get away from it. Oh, it's so bad at home. I need to go to Vegas. Is it really that bad? Or are you just over exaggerating it so that you don't feel guilty about going to Vegas? She just really wants to go to Vegas. There's a (laughs) fantastic line when we first meet her. And she's talking about she has three boys and two of them are teens. So they're discovering themselves. And she's like, there's just semen everywhere. Everywhere. I can crack a blanket in half. Yes. Yeah. I love that line. It's so gross. I could crack a blanket in half. Yeah. Do you know what I mean by that? Yes, I do. And oh my God. I am glad they limited her character She's to, a little too much. to a very side part. So when she comes in, it's funny. Yes. And then she can go away again. Well, that's exactly it. I think this line is funny because one, it's showing that women think about these things too and can talk about these things openly. But two, she does come in with those banger lines 
every 20 minutes, every yeah. 30 minutes. It's not a constant every two minutes we're cutting back to her and she has something weird to say. Every now and then she just pops in, crushes this one line and leaves. I think that makes it relatable too, because it's like, okay, yeah, I'm going to say something ridiculous, but it's every, you know, couple hours or so. Yeah. So movie time every 20 minutes. Yeah. You have those friends too, who are like only good for that, like one joke or that one line that pops in, says it, and then they just did. Yeah. And you're like, oh, he's so good. He's so funny. I love him. But- Really, he's not that funny. He's just good for that one moment. And she's probably normal every other time. Absolutely. We also get to meet Becca, played Mm -hmm. by Ellie Kemper, who, oh, you'll know Rita, Wendy McClendon Covey from like the Mom on Goldbergs, which is a long running sitcom. Yeah. She's been a few other things as well. Becca, played by Ellie Kemper, you'll know from 21 Jump Street. She's the teacher that's in love with Channing Tatum's character. She's also on the Netflix show Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, that show that ran for a couple seasons as well. She's Becca. She's a newlywed who has only ever been with one man. Mm-hmm. So she's the exact opposite of Rita. And those are the two side characters who kind of form a bond while being bridesmaids. Yeah. And I think that's what makes them funny is because they are exact opposites. One is very naive and new and one has seen it all, done it all. Yeah. And they get to connect. And I think... I would love a short movie with them. Like a 20 minute, <laughs> they go on an adventure together. Yeah. Would be hilarious. I really liked these characters. My problem with them was they set up almost li- side plots with the little tangents like them, that they had. Like them making out on the airplane. Did they make out on the they airplane? They totally make out on the airplane, yeah. Oh. Well, them just talking about what they wanted to do, like how the one chick really needs to explore and all that kind of stuff. And they just drop it they lose those side characters halfway through the movie. And it's just like, I was more invested in them than my main character. That's because halfway through the movie, the movie loses itself. True. We also then, again, meet Melissa McCarthy's Megan. And she has a great line because she is like the weirdest character. Yeah. We don't really understand anything about her. She's very mysterious. We don't know where she came from, where she's going, but apparently she's rich as hell. And works for the government. And works for the government. And very high I have high clearance. Mm -hmm. Very. Don't tell anybody that. Yeah. Don't tell anybody that. I know the codes. I know the nuclear. And where they're at. And where they're at. But don't tell anybody that. A lot of shopping malls. (laughs) (laughs) So funny. My favorite thing is she's telling this whole story about how she like fell off a boat. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, I met a dolphin. And he helped me. He spoke to me. Well, he didn't really speak to me. It was more like a telepathic thing. And you're like, what the hell are you talking about? She's like. This like two minute story about how she fell off a boat and was drowning and she met a dolphin who saved her and spoke to her telepathically. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, this character is going to be absolutely absurd. Love it. So this is normally the kind of character I would dislike in a movie. And I found myself actually drawn to her. This is that character that I said, I think Kristen Wiig really wanted to put a lot behind. Yes. Because this is a very well-rounded character. Is she absolutely ridiculous? Yes. But she has some of the most heartfelt moments the most down-to-earth moments where she doesn't feel like she's getting caught up in everything she's just like i'm a real person i have some weird thoughts that i'm gonna tell you because we're friends but i'm real yeah i have feelings even if you don't think so because of how ridiculous i can be Mm -hmm. this is the character i was thinking about when earlier in this pod i mentioned this movie being just a bunch of snl sketches this character alone is basically snl sketches this being saved by a dolphin SNL sketch. Yeah. Her working for the government, SNL sketch. Her taking all the dogs after this part, after a party, SNL sketch. These are really great moments, 
but overall they don't really work together. The only reason they do is because Melissa McCarthy is so good in this movie. She is really good in this in movie. In anybody else's hands, I think this role completely falls apart and just seems so out in left field that it hurts the rest of the grounded, quote-unquote mm-hmm. grounded, movie. Yeah. But she makes it work. She does. Other- I thought you were going to say one of the SNL sketches was them passing the uh, microphone back and forth between the announce- during the announcement party. Well, yeah, there's other party. ones, but this is the character oh. who I think is mostly just built around SNL sketches, ah. and then there's a through line. Right. There's other ones. Like, we'll talk about that in a second. So we also meet Rose Byrne's Helen, who... Did you know Rose Byrne was in Star Wars Attack of the Clones? I was oh. looking up her IMDb, and I just saw this movie, and I was like, who the hell was she in that movie? Yeah. She wasn't even, like, a thing, like, a name yet. How did she get in that movie? I don't know. It was weird. She was also in Troy. Really? Yeah. But then she gets her uh, big hit with Insidious Mm -hmm. in 2010, the year before this movie. But everything she had done up to this movie was more of, like, dramas, serious, nothing really crazy. And then this one, all of a sudden, she's funny. And I think this movie is her... It's either this movie or Neighbors. I know you've seen Neighbors Mm -hmm. with Seth Rogen. Yeah. I don't know which one it is, but one of those two movies is where all of a sudden she is a star. This is, this is, she has all the power in the world right now. I'm not sure which one of these movies it is. I think it'd probably be this one. I think her role in Neighbors is a little too to to the backseat. Muted? Yeah. Yeah. I think it would definitely be this one. But she's funnier in Neighbors than in this one. Because she's allowed to be. In this yeah. one, she kind of needs to be like that straight face, but that like, you can't tell if I'm legitimately like this or if I'm conniving and trying to get rid of Annie. Yeah, that's fair. It's just, it's crazy that she's all drama and she comes in and crushes this this relatively funny role mm-hmm. where she gets to be a little bit more absurd. I love when actors do that, when they just flip the script on everything you thought you knew about them. Yeah. Like Jim Carrey, when he pulls off, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. And you're like, this guy's this guy's like Gumby come to life. Like he's just all about over-exaggeration and comedy yeah. and dumb stuff. And then he nails you with this hard-hitting, depressing story. And you're like, damn. All right. All right, you got range. Yeah. Didn't know that. So I love when, yeah. So she comes in and absolutely crushes it here. And we get a part where they're trying to give their little bridal speeches, their little toasts to the bride and groom. And they go back and forth, and it is a very much SNL sketch. Mm-hmm. So Annie goes up and is just like, I've known you for a couple of years. There's not much to say. I'm very happy for you. Steps down. Helen walks up and is like, hey, here's some stuff. Hey, remember when we did this and this story and blah, 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 and steps down. So Annie gets back up and is like, I got to have the last word. And then they just go back and forth for, I think, a little bit too long. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad idea. Oh, yeah. I think it's just stretched a little So I think this is going to be one of my biggest problems with this movie is it has a lot of great ideas, really funny things that just go on for too long and lose that sense of funniness and go into a world of cringe for me. Where if if it had cut it down just a little bit, had a little more story around it, it would have gone into another stratosphere. But for me, it left the funny range. Okay. Yeah, I can I can see that because doing it a few times. That's funny continually doing it for like five minutes too much i agree i think this movie stretched everything and one of my biggest problems with this movie is it's far too long yeah it is like two hours and five minutes or something like that and it should have been a solid 90 minutes Mm -hmm. that's it 
Like, there's a half hour of this movie that should have been left on the editing room floor and just scrapped. And it's, like, not even having to cut anything, really. It's just trimming it. Yeah. Trim everything up so that way we don't run into these issues of, all right, I'm bored. Can we go to the next scene yet? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Moving on. So, they have to be friends. So, Maya Rudolph understands that Annie and... I know there's the whole cop story in here. We're going to get to that. I want to talk about that completely separate. Yeah. So Annie and Helen don't get along and Maya Rudolph's character, Lillian, knows it and is like, y'all need to get along for my wedding. So they go and play tennis together. I've never once in my life thought tennis would match ACDC's dirty deeds, (laughs) but my God, it did. I enjoyed the scene. It still went on a little too long, but I really enjoyed how hard they went and that their fact that there's two other women there that are just like, what is happening? Yeah. Why are they so angry at each other? We're not even playing anymore. They're just hitting each other. Yeah. I love the montage of them just getting hit with the tennis balls (laughs) in the armpit, in the boob, in the face, in the neck, in the, they're just getting hit. Mm -hmm. It is funny. Yeah. I've played tennis. I can't tell you how many times I've swung and missed a ball and it just smacks me. I don't think I've ever gotten smacked with the ball, but I have swung and missed. <laughs> well, you're not playing right then. My problem is I tend to hit the ball too hard with my whole softball background. Yeah, and then you just send it sailing. Yeah, it goes over the fence. <laughs> it's a, a really good scene. I love the opening when we get a small crack in Helen's armor when she introduces her kids, but it's really her husband's kids from a previous relationship. Yeah. And they are just dicks to her. Mm-hmm. She's like, oh, you guys here? Blah, blah, blah. What are you doing? And he's like, fuck off, Helen. Mm-hmm. you're like okay that's the first introduction that helen is a real person who might be trying really hard with the women in her life because she's trying to find that acceptance that and i've known women like this where they try really really hard because they don't have female friends yes they've always struggled to have friends in general but specifically female friends so they try really really hard when they find one that actually can enjoy them so they, they fight each other on the tennis court. They're, they're going back and forth. But they, it seems to be maybe they've come to a mutual something. Mm-hmm. But the next scene completely destroys that. The next big scene. Because they're going to go out for dinner to talk about, like, what's to come with this wedding. All the bridesmaids. And Annie takes them to a little Brazilian food spot, which is like a hole in the wall, dirty as hell. Yeah. Stray dogs hanging outside of it and stuff. And they all get food poisoning. Except for Helen. Except for Helen, because she doesn't eat meat. Yeah, no. Well, she eats meat. She just doesn't eat meat from there. Okay, that's fair. But then immediately they have to go try on bridesmaids' dresses Mm -hmm. to pick it out. And they all have to shit and throw up. Yeah. And what happens to you when you get food poisoning? That's Mm -hmm. what happens. And it is is one of my favorite scenes in the history of comedy movies. And I know you probably didn't like it. I did not. I love it. I'm not a huge fan. We've done it on this pod where it's like, dear Hollywood, we don't need to see people throwing up. I think this one's done sort of tastefully because it's not like projectile vomiting. It's more real vomiting and it makes sense for the situation. It is realistic. I get it. It made me uncomfortable, but that is a me thing. So I completely understand the scene. I think it was tastefully done. I just, because I know what's happening, I'm like, uh, I'm uncomfortable. I want to be done. (laughs) Give me a second to just break this down a little bit because it's great. So they're all wearing different dresses to see which ones they liked, which ones fit the best so they can decide which ones to buy as Mm -hmm. the bridesmaids. And (laughs) Rita is just like, I don't feel good. I don't care what dress. Just buy one. I need to get off this white carpet. Yeah. Because they're in like a high-end boutique where the, the... Cheapest dressed is like $700. It can be expensive here. Yeah. 
And she's like, I need to get off this white carpet. So she runs to the bathroom and she throws up in the toilet. Mm-hmm. At the same time, Megan, Melissa McCarthy, is like, it's it's coming. It's going. I gotta. And she runs in and she tries to move Rita off the toilet. And she's like, no, no. So she shits in the sink. Yeah. In the bathroom. I'd have been like, hey, switch positions. <laughs> it wouldn't have been as funny. Because I love when Rita's like yelling at her. No, 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 don't do it. No. And Megan's looking at her and is just like, look away. Look away. I want the picture of Megan shitting in the sink, screaming, look away, hung over my toilet. Because it is so funny. She doesn't, it's not about the fact that she's going to the bathroom in the sink. She just doesn't want to be looked at while she's doing it. Yeah, well, it would be demeaning almost. And, and it's just like, it has to happen. So funny. And then we get Becca running in, who has to throw up, doesn't see Rita in the toilet, just can't hold it. Can't and hold just it. throws up on the back of Rita's head. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm crying. I, I hated like, it. It was so funny. I hated it so much. But then <laughs> Annie, trying to play it cool, like she didn't just food poison everybody, is like, I feel great. And Helen's like, are you sure? Are you She's sure you just don't progressively getting more sweaty. More sweaty. And, and Annie's like, no, in fact, I'm actually kind of hungry. Wish I had a snack. Peckish. Yes. And Helen hands her almonds and she's like, mm, almonds. The, the worst like little crunch. Oh slow going. You got to be this part. That was part funny. was really funny. I really enjoyed that bit. And at the same time, we know Lillian, who's now wearing a really expensive wedding dress. Yeah. Is feeling it. And she can't go to the bathroom because it's all occupied. So she's trying to run across the street to make it to another toilet. And she doesn't make it. And the way Maya Rudolph plays this, if she's running, it's like, she's like running across a really busy street and cars are just beeping and swerving around her and stuff. And she can't make it. She literally squats in the middle of the street. But I love the visual of it because she slowly goes down. But the way this huge dress, like cascades away from her to create this little perfect circle around her while she's just shitting in the middle of the street. Yeah. And she's like, it's coming. It's I can't wait. I can't. Uh, and she just goes. It's so funny. No. I love this scene. It's so... This scene starts off really well, too, with Megan when they first walk in and she, like, burp farts and everybody's like, Megan, what are you doing? And she's like, I'm sorry, sorry. I'm not even sure which end that came out of. Yeah. Oh, come on. It's so funny. So this is my issue with a lot of quote unquote raunchy comedies is it hits to a level of embarrassment with the characters that I feel embarrassed and it makes me uncomfortable to watch it. And so I think that's why I really avoid these kind of movies. You put yourself in their shoes and you feel weird. Yes. Okay. That makes sense. And it's just so seeing scenes like this where they go to the lengths that they do i understand why a lot of people will find it funny i just personally can't because i get like uh contact embarrassment (laughs) yeah i don't know so i'm just like i am lillian in the street wearing a wedding dress (laughs) shitting and i can't deal with that and so it makes me uncomfortable watching it and it's not a fun experience oh i i love it i can't get enough of it I'm not a, I'm a huge one for potty humor. Like farts and stuff, they, they're kind of funny sometimes when they're mm. done well. Mm-hmm. But most of the time I'm like, this is stupid. Infantile, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't really add to the story. You just did it as a joke. I think this does add to the story. It, does. it definitely plays out the relationship between Helen and Annie trying to be the best, best friend. Mm-hmm. And how all the other women see Annie at this point and how they're going to go to Helen's side. 
this scene really just encapsulates that. And I think that's why it's important. For and me, I love that they did it in a comedy way. I think it could have still been comedic having a bathroom with all the stalls and they're all just in a stall having to go. They didn't even have time to close the doors even or something like that. Like, But if it was men, would they have? I think so. Or would like, I don't know. I honestly could not picture this scene with men. E- okay. Even playing it out as it does. Well, definitely not the squatting in the street because yeah, there's no would, way to do that without to be bare ass yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it'd be weird. There'd be no hiding it. It's a funny scene to me. It's one of my favorites in all of comedy. I think it's just so well paced, acted. Like everybody kills it in this role too, in this scene too. Yeah. It's so okay. Let's just move on. I could talk about this scene all day. But let's move on. <laughs> so after this, they set up how they're gonna go do a big party, but it's going to be French themed because Lillian's always wanted to go to France to Paris. They, they go to Vegas first. No, they got to talk about where they're going to go. And they, they say they're just going to throw a party because Annie doesn't have any money. So she's like, let's just have a small party and we'll do a Paris theme because Lillian's always wanted to go to Paris. After the debacle of the wedding, the dresses, Helen convinces everybody, no, we need to go somewhere. Mm. And she's like, let's all go to Vegas. And everybody's on board. So they're going to fly to Vegas. Except for Annie, because number one... She doesn't have any money. Money, and she doesn't like to fly. Yeah. So she has to be drugged to get on the plane to feel loosey-goosey and have some drinks. And I hate the airplane. Yes. Now, the only good part of the airplane, two good things about the airplane. Becca and Rita, because their conversation is very grounded, Mm -hmm. where, oh my God, you've been with more more than one man. Please tell me about it. It's just like, oh my God, let me tell you all the raunchy things. Mm-hmm. And they, this is where they really develop. And this is the scene where I'm like, I need a 20 minute short with just these two on an adventure. Yes. It's so good here. But then they get dropped for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And Melissa McCarthy and the air marshal. Those <laughs> yeah. are like the two good things about this. The air marshal is definitely not an air marshal, but is an air marshal. But it's, yeah. <laughs> I'm not an air marshal. Oh, I see you didn't put anything in the overhead compartment. Wink, wink. I got your back. I'm not an air marshal. I love the fact that it's played off as she's just being ridiculous, but it shows how smart she is because she, she actually knows. High level of government. Yeah. Yeah. These these are the little scenes where it makes you think, is she telling the truth with everything she said? I think so. Weird, right? Maybe not that dolphin. Maybe she's exaggerating the dolphin like <laughs> she bit. thought she heard it. So but. the air marshal is played by Ben Falcone, who's Melissa McCarthy's husband in real life. Oh, okay. I was like, I recognized him, but I can't remember and from where. And I think where. that's why there's just such good chemistry, because at one point, it's he's coming out of the bathroom, and she like lifts her leg up to him, and is like, yeah, you want this. And he's like, oh my god, I can't. I can't with you. I'm just gonna go back to my seat. But also, she's like, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, get a blanket ready. And he's like, no, no. It's so, their relationship is just great. Here. But I absolutely love the fact that they do call back to this moment because he is at the wedding. He is. Yes. He is and then we get the, the post-credit scene with them in the sandwich. Well, yeah, I don't. We don't talk about that. No, that doesn't exist. <laughs> but that's like the two good things. Everything else about this plan, because Annie's the only one sitting in coach because she refused to have Helen pay for her ticket, but Helen paid for everybody else's ticket. So they're all in first class mm-hmm. enjoying themselves. I hate this airplane. It takes way too long. Yes. It's repetitive as hell. This is where Kristen Wiig completely forgot how to write a script. Mm-hmm. The whole movie from here on out is dumb. It is absolutely terrible. I literally have it written. This movie just takes too long for everything. Do I get the purpose of the scene? Sure. I appreciate that this is like the whole mind game because Helen is like, okay, here, have this drug that I have. It will help relax you. Which just oh, jacks here, her up. Have my drink. That should relax you. And you never know if she's just genuinely trying to get her to relax 
or if she's literally trying to sabotage her. So I found that aspect of the scene and this whole relationship throughout the movie very, very interesting to watch. Because sometimes I think Helen's very sincere. Yes. And sometimes I think Helen's a complete bitch. Yes. Yeah. So it, it, Like that, most people. Yes. <laughs> so that was what was interesting to me. But then you layer it underneath all of this just ridiculousness. It keeps getting worse and worse and worse. And it's like no actual human, even if they're drugged uh, on those kind of things, would be that way. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it. I hate this. Okay, let's just run through the rest of this movie because who yeah. gives a shit, yeah. right? We got through all the good, funny parts in the first half of the movie. And this airplane is literally about the halfway mark. Mm-hmm. In a two-hour movie, the airplane happens at an hour in. And then the rest of it is it is a blur of who gives a shit. Yeah. So after this, they get kicked off the plane because of the way Annie's acting. So they can't go on their trip. So Annie, like, has to slink away and go kind of hide in her hole because everybody hates her. And then she comes out for the bridal, bridal shower. Pa- bridal shower. And she throws a huge rant there. She breaks because the she does all this stuff. Because it is, Helen yeah. is going to do what? Well, not only that, Helen has now taken over all of maid of honor duties. Well, she's the maid of honor now. Yeah. Yeah. And she planned the party exactly how Annie said that she should. So she stole, kept stealing the ideas. And as a gift, she's taking Lillian to Paris. And Annie's like, you wouldn't even know she wanted to go to Paris if it wasn't for me. Like, why are you such a bitch? Mm-hmm. Acting as if she knew her that well all along. And that's where it really comes to a head. So Annie's right in this moment. Yeah. Maybe not the way she handles it, but she's 100% right. And it pisses me off that her pseudo best friend doesn't recognize that. Or mm-hmm. even bother to have a try, try to have like a conversation about how she's feeling. Yeah. It's a little weird. It's a little forced. Although I do appreciate Lillian's response here of like, act happy for me in the moment and then go talk about me when I'm, when you're at home. Yeah. It's one of my favorite things because, again, very humanistic, very real. Because everyone knows that's what you're going to do. Oh my God, your party was so great. And then you're going to call somebody later and be like, the party was trash. Can't believe that we did. We went to that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Every time. So there's still some good moments, but they're not, they're few and far between in the second half of the movie. But we get one of my favorite moments after this. Oh, yeah? What yeah. It? It's Melissa McCarthy having like a nine dogs in her car. Because so, at one point she's like, I already took two. They're in my truck. So the party favors. So instead of like a goodie bag to go, they're getting a doggy bag to go. And by doggy bag, I mean literally just golden retriever puppies. Yeah. That's your party favor mm-hmm. when you leave is you're going to get a puppy. This is terrible. Let's just side tangent here. Oh, yeah. Don't do that. Who gives away a dog as a party favor? Are you screening these people to know if they're going to be good dog owners? Yeah. Are you checking where they live? Are you checking the type of people that they are? Do do they even want a dog? Mm Mm-hmm. You can't just give away dogs as party favors. God, Helen, you're a a demon. Yeah, no. There's a lot of financial stress that comes with raising an animal and time and everything. Not for Megan. Well, she's got a high paying government job. Well, yeah, but she does claim that nine dogs was a bit too much. Yeah, she was more comfortable with like six. six. <laughs> yeah, that, that extra three. Just, just But her driving and like looking at Annie, because she must have left right around the same time. Oh, yeah, because she catches up to her. Yeah, and she just has all those dogs. She's just pointing at them like, look at all my dogs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's one of my favorite scenes in the entire movie. Yeah, so this is where Annie gets into a car accident. And this is where John Hamm comes to pick her up and has that line that I said at the beginning. And this is where... The cop hole thing blow, blows up in her face because yep. we mm-hmm. haven't really talked no, about him. We'll get there. Trust me. He's such a non-factor in this movie. We're going to get to him. Mm-hmm. But John Hamm picks her up and this is where she realized maybe she's better than him. 
and she breaks up with him and sends him on his way. Yeah. And we're never going to see John Ham- John Ham again. We're over him. Good. Awesome. Yeah. It's a good moment for her as a character. Well, yeah. Of growth. Yeah. It's like the first time we've seen her grow at all. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. Then she's lounging on her couch because she's miserable and she's moved back in with her mom because she was kicked out of her apartment. For not being able to pay. Well, no, it's just they said they don't want to re- roommate anymore. The brother sister just don't want to roommate anymore. Kicked her out. Yeah. So she's living with her mom and Megan shows up. My question here is, when the hell did Megan and Annie become best friends that she's going to show up and do this? You see throughout the movie that Megan is constantly checking in on her and is constantly trying to make sure she is involved and all that. Megan is a wonderful character. Oh, absolutely. She's my favorite character of the movie. Yes. So she comes and she's like, I'm going to check on you because I know they aren't. Those bitches aren't going to do it. It's just weird. It just comes out of left field. We don't get any moments with them together. Sure, we might see some little subtle things in the background or whatever. But there's never a moment that makes me think Megan would actually show up and do this to her. Mm. To, like, slap her in the face and be like, I'm life punching you. Fight back or give up. Yeah. I love that she brings several of her dogs. (laughs) It's a good moment. It's just I feel unearned. It's unearned. So now they're going to go to the wedding. Mm -hmm. But first she bakes a cake for the cop. Eats it for some reason. After the raccoons get it. Yeah. So Helen shows up and is like, Lillian's missing. It's the day of the wedding and Lillian is missing. Mm-hmm. So now they have to work together to find the bride. But they don't really work together that much because she just tries to get the cop to help. And yeah. so they're driving past trying to get the cop's atten- attention because he's like, I'm going to ignore you because you, I hate you. Yeah. You, you pissed me off. And then he just finds where she is. Well, because they track her phone and she's just at her apartment. Like, you guys didn't think to go there? No, because they're all idiots. No, they just needed the cop to actually do something. He hadn't been in the movie in a while, so they needed a minute. And that's it. So they find Lillian at her apartment. They get married. Boom. End of movie. Everybody's happy. Cop shows up to be her date by the end of the wedding, and we're good. Yay. Everybody's friends and happy ending. Because we hear that Helen's whole thing is that she couldn't be friends with other girls and blah, blah, blah. My favorite part about the end of this movie, Wilson Phillips showing up and singing. Yeah. That was fun. Except I would absolutely hate that if it was my wedding because they sang not to me. They sang to the audience. I'm behind them. Who cares? They're there. Let me at least move so that I can see you singing. Well, that's her problem. She should have moved so she could see him singing. Let's talk about the cop. Mm -hmm. We've been avoiding him this whole movie. Yeah. The cop is Rhodes, played by Chris O'Dowd, who I love. I think Chris O'Dowd is a good actor. I love Mm -hmm. his his, his straight-faced. He's very much like a Maya Rudolph. He's very straight face, but can say comedic things and it kind of works. Yeah. He's charming in that way. He's not right for this role. Well, he's also written very unrealistically. Yes. I don't think Kristen Wiig knew how to write men because mm. obviously John Hamm's character stinks. We all, we get the groom for like 30 seconds and then we get this character. And while he means well, he does things horribly, horribly wrong. So can I, can I counterpoint that? Sure. So I do think she can write men well. I think it was purposeful. Because when you watch movies like 40-Year-Old Version and stuff, we get both ends of the spectrum. We get the slutty girl who's going to sleep with everybody, and we get the wholesome woman that he's going to end up with. Mm -hmm. There's always those extremes. Yeah. That's what she did here. John Hamm's the extreme one way. Chris O'Dowd's the extreme the other way. So I think she writes them just well. This was all purposeful. He's supposed to be overly sweet and So he's purposefully written bad. Correct. Okay. Because women in these types of movies when it's men-led, are written poorly. Okay, that makes sense. 
because he does a lot of things that are cute. Mm -hmm. I would say cute. But weird. But very weird. So like the first night they have sex after they hook up, she wakes up the next morning and she's given up baking after her bakery collapsed. She doesn't do it anymore. Mm -hmm. He literally has bowls and he's like, I ran to the store and I got a bunch of baking stuff. So I figured we could bake together. Well, actually, you'll do most of the baking. I'll just do the eating. It's such a cute moment, but it's like you guys have been on like one date. Yeah. And you've just had sex. Probably not the time to try to force her to bake again. Especially after she's told you verbatim that she does not bake anymore. She doesn't want to do it. So you're really pushing her in a way that you really shouldn't have that early on. It's a nice guy moment. He thinks he's doing the right thing. He can't see the fault in what he's doing. And I think that's why he was written purposefully like that. Okay. Because... Does that change things for you? A little bit. If you look at him purposefully bad? Yeah. Okay. Because... That is the right thing to do. Had you known her longer. Correct. Three months in, that's the right thing to do. Yeah. To try to get her out of her rut and try to get her back into more of her normal self. Something that she was, you knew she was passionate in and she just needs that space to be able to do it again. You just rushed it. Yeah. One, you rushed it and two, you did it the night after you just had sex for the first time. Yeah. You don't do that after a night of having sex. You do that a night after a night of having a deep conversation. Yeah. Where you do talk about the baking and all that stuff. And then you try to push her to it. Mm -hmm. It, it, So it's weird. But I don't think Chris Adowd was probably the first choice for this. Picture instead Paul Rudd. Ooh. As the cop. Interesting. The cop becomes a little more likable. And a lot of what he says and does works better, I think, in Rudd's hands. He has that charming ability to just make whatever he says sound so sincere and lovable. So, yeah. Yeah, I think they probably had, because Paul Rudd is in a deleted scene going on a date with Kristen Wiig, and it's like a really funny scene Mm -hmm. that just got cut for time. (laughs) I bet he did that scene because they wanted him in this, but I'm sure like he was filming something else at the time or whatever, so he wasn't available. This definitely feels like a Paul Rudd thing, or even as a backup, like a Jason Segel. One of those guys who's like goofy lovable. Yeah. Chris O'Dowd is lovable, but he's more sincere lovable. Yeah. They need the goofiness of it. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely don't think that was the right guy. Uh, two things. So, anything else you want to say about the cop? No. They end up together. They do. I think that's ridiculous. I don't think she should have ended up with anybody. I think they needed more time to, if they were going with that ending, they needed more time to for him to reconcile. It shouldn't have just been a split decision. Yes, I reconciled. Correct. Two other, well, one other face that we didn't talk about in this movie, Rebel Wilson. Mm. plays one of the roommates yeah it's a it's a fun little cameo before i think pitch perfect came and i think boosted so. her to stardom so it's cool to see back look back and see her that's all i gotta say about the movie nits just no because <laughs> because no. mine are all just we have time for this so like my major eh. ones are annie constantly whines and it just ruins parts of the movie for me where i'm like just shut up yeah Can we focus on anybody else please it's semi-realistic because i've known people like this but it's, you don't want that in a movie. But I want to be away from those people. True. I don't want to follow them for two hours. Truth. The romance we just talked about, I don't think it works. I think if you put Paul Rudd in that role, it works a lot better. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'd care more. It, it was unnecessary. Yeah. Didn't need it. I think focusing on the women was more important. The side tangents with the cop just didn't work. The cupcake scene. So there's a scene where she actually does bake by herself. She makes a really elaborate cupcake with a huge fondant flour on it and everything to eat it. I thought she was going to smash it. Yeah, I thought so too. But also this is like a three minute scene. Just we don't need. This is a two hour and five minute movie. 
this is something completely unnecessary. Which is like showing that you do actually still like cooking, like baking, but then you have this whole issue with it. But then you don't make the cake for Lillian's wedding, which is what I thought that was setting up. Same. I thought it was going to be to help her get out that she was going to make it. Or, okay, so at one point in this movie, she looks at her old bakery, which was named Cake Baby. Mm -hmm. And somebody has written over it to Cock Baby Mm -hmm. and drew a penis in her hand, in her avatar's hand on the thing. Should she keep that name? And should she make exotic cakes? Or, or not exotic, a, erotic cakes? There is a, a market for that. I'm just saying. Like for the bachelor party and stuff, she can mm-hmm. make like penis cakes and stuff? Yeah, little penis pop cakes. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like she just has a brand new business on her hand and she's just unaware of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Questions. Uh-huh. Yanni? I have like three. No. So she bakes him a cake that's a carrot because they had a cute moment where they were eating carrots together and it's like, you got the ugly carrot you gotta eat it it's good luck and then what a waste of time that scene is mm-hmm. but she bakes him a cake that says i'm sorry and shaped like a carrot you can change a carrot into a penis there's your cake you got this <laughs> gives it to him he sees it leaves it out on his porch raccoons eat it when he shows up at the end of the movie he says uh, i ate your cake are you f- you ate the raccoon cake he literally said he had to fight raccoons for it yeah yeah you ate raccoon cake mm-hmm. what the f- that is a no-go. He probably has rabies. Who wrote that line of dialogue and thought that was a good idea? Did you think we wouldn't notice? Yeah. We noticed. They thought it would be funny. I don't have a lot of questions about this movie other than like, why did the second half happen? Because <laughs> so, they had to get to the wedding. Let's just go into the, the three questions, two questions that we normally have and a new regular question we're going to start inserting. Piece of memorabilia you want from this movie? I want the giant cookie cake. Ooh, Yeah. That she destroys? Yeah. I want the chocolate fountain. Ooh. That's placed outside so it can be contaminated with everything, but, you know. I just want to, you know, stick my face in that, yeah. But it's got to be indoors. Well, that's, yeah. That's not Hey, it's your bit of memorabilia. You can put it wherever put it, you want. I don't know where I'd put it. I don't have room for it, but I would take it. You'd make room for it. Yeah. It's a chocolate fountain. It's so good. Yeah. It's like a beautiful fountain with just chocolate. I'm not even a huge chocolate guy, Yeah. but I want it. You can change it into a, like a fondue. Caramel. Ooh, caramel. Caramel fountain. That'd be hard. If this movie released in 2023, would it get a theatrical release, go straight to streaming, or get a miniseries? I think it's still theatrical. I think there's still a market for that. I think this year in particular, yes, because we've seen other R-rated female-led comedies come out. So I Mm -hmm. think it would. I think maybe last year, no, it goes straight to streaming. Okay. I think they can get away with more in streaming that they might have wanted to. I I wouldn't be mad at a miniseries either. I can't remember. Was this rated R? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They swear a bunch. They have sexual innuendos. They literally have a sex scene. Yeah, it's rated R. Uh, I think there's been sex scenes in PG-13. But not as visual as this one. <laughs> not sure. in the bright daylight. Usually they're under sheets and stuff. True. Um, but does this work as a miniseries? I think it could because each event could have been its own episode. Yeah. Like six, seven episodes and you're good? Yeah, the but story. I, I would have gotten so over it by then. <laughs> uh, probably. But I feel like it would have maybe gave more time to really flesh out some of these things that we didn't like. True. Our new question we're going to be adding to every episode is, what happens the next day? So movies always end and is always the question of like, okay, we got kind of an ending, but then what? Honestly, going into the future, I think he, uh, the cop, gets fed up with Annie mm-hmm. and... Uh, yeah, they they kind of still say stay pseudo friends. Does but... she open the bakery? Does she open another bakery? Or does she do something else? I, th- I think maybe she works at a bakery. 
She'll, okay. she'll work at a bakery, but I don't know that she'll ever open another one. Do her and Helen become friends? I don't think they become real friends. I think they become that, like, distance friends. Where it's like, you can I, stand each other. I feel like this whole story falls apart the next day. Mm-hmm. Everybody, I think Helen and Lillian stop being friends. I think Lillian and Annie stop being friends. I think everybody separates here except for Megan and Annie. And Annie's life is still miserable and she hasn't learned a damn thing. Yeah. That's what I think anyway. Yeah. All right. Uh, awards time. Yeah. So as always, we're going to start with the psycho shower scene. Your favorite movie, favorite movie, your favorite scene from the movie. What do you got? I have Megan coming to smack some sense into Annie. I think it's the most heartfelt moment of the movie. It's where we get that real strong arm that Annie needed to kind of kind of bring her life back together. But I really like Melissa McCarthy in this moment being like, I'm still ridiculous, but it's for a loving reason. Good pick. Mine is the uh, shitting in the sink. (laughs) Of course it is. It's the look away, look away. (laughs) It's so good. I can't. I need more of it. It's just funny. And it's very, very realistic. (laughs) Next up is the life uh, finds a way award for your favorite line in the movie. Go ahead and start. Mine is during the tennis scene, and it's the stepson saying, I've seen better tennis playing in a tampon commercial. Oh my God, yes. It is such a throwaway line from an actor who I've only ever seen on the TV show Victorious. And I was just like, oh my God, he he's the one who said that. He's such a weird character on that show. But in this, it was just like, yeah, okay. I have, I've seen tampon commercials and I've seen them playing tennis in tampon commercials. It's funny. Yeah. Oh, it's such a good line. But again, it shows how much these kids don't give a shit about Ellen. Oh yeah. About Helen. Yeah. Good, good line. I, I wrote down like six of them. We kind of went over all of them during the actual pod. I can't narrow this one down to like actually pick one. So I think I'm going to have to go with. You know what? Why can't you just be happy for me and then go home and talk behind my back later like a normal person? <laughs> I think that's my favorite line of the movie. Ask me tomorrow. It might be something different. Yeah. But for now, that's my favorite line of the movie because that is one of the most realistic lines I've heard. That doesn't matter so if you're best friends. You'll always go home and talk shit. Yeah. Next up is the prestige award for the biggest WTF moment from the movie. What do you got? For me, it was the diarrhea scene. <laughs> it was just, what the heck is happening here? Oh my God. It. Oh God. It got worse. How? It's worse still. Oh my God. It's so funny though. Yeah. It's so funny. So it was definitely the most WTF moment for me. Mine is the airplane scene. Mm, yeah. That's a close second. Like everything Annie does on the airplane, I'm just like, oh my God. Why, is, why are we watching this and then to know that the rest of the movie just completely falls apart afterwards mm-hmm. did you again you wrote an extended snl sketch and then didn't know how to turn it into a full movie yeah so han shot first award yeah oscar yes i bet you have for the thing that held up the worst for me it is the pacing I honestly think they just spend too long on certain aspects and gloss over the stuff that actually mattered. So that is my biggest downfall for this movie. Mine is the entire second half of the movie. Fair. That's it. I don't have anything more to say. Paul Rudd Award. I'm Paul Rudd and I adapt. For what held up the best since this movie came out. I'll go first. Mm -hmm. It's the first half of the movie. (laughs) This is a tale of two movies. 
that do not connect mm-hmm. at all. And the first half is amazing. The second half is trash fire. Okay, yeah. So all together, it sort of maybe works. Mm-hmm. But if it was just at our first half, that is a bomb-ass movie. Fair. And if it was just the second half, it'd be one of the worst movies. Yeah. There we go. What, what's yours? What's your Paul Rudd award? Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, I figured Megan. it would be. Yeah. She was my saving grace of this movie. Yeah, I figured. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> Let's go into final thoughts and decisions. Yeah. I did not like this movie at all. This is not a movie for me. Like I said, I don't like the kind of movie where I feel embarrassed watching it or I feel cringy. That being said, mm. I think this movie does hold up. I think this movie has so much to offer in terms of comedy. I can see how many people would absolutely love this movie. A lot of the ridiculousness is done in a tasteful way. So I think this movie actually does hold up, even though it's not a movie for me. Interesting. I am having a hard time with this one. I think this movie does hold up by the slightest of margins, and it's more for the cultural significance of the movie more than it is for the movie itself. Okay. I think this movie changed comedies, gave women a platform, and really let them shine and show what they could do if they had a chance. And I think that's more important than the movie itself. And so for that reason, I have to say it does hold up because I think people should watch this movie to understand what came before it and understand how we got to where we are now. Fair. So for that, it holds up but by the slightest of margins. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening. Next week, we'll be back with, I don't know. So it's Emily's birthday coming up. So she actually gets to pick next week's movie and she hasn't told me what it is yet. It's going to be such a surprise. I am not looking forward to that. (laughs) I do not like to be surprised. But yeah, so join us again next week when we talk about one of your favorite movies of all time to decide if it holds up to today's standards. You can come join us on our socials by clicking the link in the description. Let us know what you thought about this episode. If you want to see us do your favorite movie of all time, come let us know. We'll try to add it to our schedule. In the meantime, remember that you're a legend, so be good to yourself. More importantly, be kind to others and keep watching movies. Bye.